when you're talking about standards, the key isn't just to have a whole bunch of numbers on a piece of paper. But what you want to be able to do is, okay, you're very good in this and this, but here's your problem. So everything I do in all my assessments is what I'm trying to do is show and circle, here's your problem, here's your issue. And the problem is almost universally, people don't like to work on what's wrong with them. They want to work on their strengths. And by the way, I mean, I'm a coach. We're going to compete with our strengths, but we're going to work like hell on our weaknesses. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. That is the story of human progress. One inch at a time. I'm your host, Joe DiStefano, and you're listening to Stack. Dan John has spent his life with one foot in the world of lifting and throwing and the other in academia. An all-American discus thrower, Dan has competed at the highest levels of Olympic lifting, Highland Games, and the weight pentathlon event, which he actually holds an American record. These days, Dan has all sorts of cool projects going on, and I was able to catch up with him about some of those projects, but some of the cool ones are his new workout generator over at danjohnworkouts.com, which he has actually graciously offered stacked listeners a special discount on that you can find over at the show notes at coachjodi.com. Just click episode 94. Uh, And beyond that, he's still a full-time writer. In fact, he's written over 40 books, including titles Now What, Never Let Go, Mass Made Simple, and one of my all-time favorites, Easy Strength, written with Pavel Tosseline, and I might be butchering that, but Pavel's awesome. You guys probably just know him as Pavel. Just Google it. I'm sure he comes up, uh, which I actually think they're rewriting right now. They're going to be writing a second edition, which I am super stoked on. Anyway, Dan is just an all-around great guy and absolute legend in the world of strength and conditioning. His books, his techniques have had a profound influence on my work. If you follow my workouts, my social media, my writing, Dan is a guy I've looked up to since I got my first personal training certification just about 17 years ago, which is just scary, but I've had the honor and privilege of knowing Dan for quite some time personally and having been instructed by him and taught alongside him at RKC events, I am super excited to be bringing you a second show with him right now. You may remember Dan from uh, a quick 30-minute episode that we did way back when, I think it was episode 13, where we actually recorded that quick show during a lunch break at an RKC weekend, um, which uh, I'll put the link in at the show notes in case you get tired, like scrolling back 100 episodes in your Spotify or whatever. But um, I am super excited. And just before we kick off this show, I want to get right to it. Uh, I wanted to tell you guys about two foods that you should be worried about not getting enough of, liver and bone marrow. Traditional foods like liver and bone marrow were once staples in the human diet as they contain just about all of the necessary nutrients for optimal health, immunity, and long-lasting vibrant biology. There are two big problems here, though, because let's face it, anybody under the age of 65 right now probably didn't grow up eating liver or bone marrow. And if you didn't grow up eating these foods, it can be hard to develop a taste for them later. And number two, conventional farming practices these days and agricultural shortcuts like 
feeding cows 15 blades of grass and calling them grass-fed are producing unhealthy cows and unhealthy foods. So even when you think you're getting the real thing, sometimes you're not. And if you take that second fact into consideration, even if you could develop a taste, quote-unquote, for liver, you may have a hard time sourcing it and preparing it, which is something I've tried to do. And trust me, it isn't fun and rarely is delicious, which makes staying consistent with these foods a real struggle. The good news is, is that there's a convenient way to get the world's highest quality, New Zealand sourced nose to tail organ meats into your diet painlessly and with absolutely no guesswork or preparation. And when you do ratchet up your consumption of these foods, pretty much every function in your body gets upgraded from your digestion, your mood, your cognition, and your recovery. And it all improves pretty darn fast because these foods are so incredibly bioavailable. That's why I am so honored and excited to be sharing with you guys what my friends over at Ancestral Supplements are up to. These guys are based in Austin, Texas, and they're formulating small batches of what I believe to be the ultimate line of traditional foods, easily the best I've ever seen or experienced. And their liver and bone marrow are perhaps the most important ones to start with if you're new to organs, as they help you build a whole new foundation of health and a whole new body this year that's stronger, more resilient, and fitter than any body that you've built before. The one-two punch of liver and bone marrow is by far the most complete ancestral multivitamin that you're going to be able to find, and I highly, highly recommend you give it a try for at least 30 days, and just take note of how your energy levels and your overall health improves. And right now, you guys can receive a special discount on both of these products over at coachjodi.com slash ancestral. That's coachjodi.com slash A-N-C-E-S-T-R-A-L. And as you are incorporating these new ancestral foods and proteins, and since there's never a bad time to boost your immune system, especially nowadays, giving the global health crisis that's spreading across the planet, P3OM are probiotics that improve your digestion and your nutrient absorption, helping ensure that your digestive tract and your immune system stay strong and healthy. In fact, these are patented proteolytic probiotics that are especially effective at breaking down animal proteins in the diet. And it's a transient probiotic that eliminates bad bacteria fast. It eats up extra sugar and protects the gut from inflammation and even viruses. So while there's a ton of probiotics out there that very likely don't survive your stomach acid, P3OM is a fully tested product to make sure that your probiotic strains not only survive in your body, but also don't compete with each other. So you're as protected as possible as it relates to the growth of bad bacteria and other pathogens. And while other probiotics often require refrigeration and often die because of it throughout transport from the factory to the store to the shelf, P3OM does not need refrigeration at all. It's also been clinically proven to give you more energy, less bloating, more mental clarity, and shift your metabolism into more of a fat-burning mode, which we've talked about a lot on this podcast. So if you guys are ready to boost your immune system even more, have healthier digestion and burn more fat, head on over to bioptimizers.com slash stacked. That's bioptimizers, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com forward slash stacked. And you can use the promo code stack 10 and you're going to get 10% off your next order 
even with the discounts that are already waiting for you on that page so you can start living stronger. All right, guys. Now, speaking of getting stronger, let us kick off this show with the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Dan John. Hey, Dan, thank you so much. I'm, I'm so excited to be recording with you today. This is our second show together. And, yeah. you know, our, our first show was at lunch at lunch at, uh, at the RKC about, you know, a year or so ago. And we were limited to, you know, 20 minutes or something, but we still knocked it out. And so I'm looking forward to... Yeah. We were like in a corner, right? Yeah, yeah. Just sitting on plyo boxes and, you know, half the class was sitting eating their bologna sandwiches as we were <laughs> recording the show. So uh, it's fun times. Yeah. Boy, it's funny about how uh, it, it seems like a million years ago and it was yesterday. Huh? Uh, how I don't this think last year been bizarre. Absolutely you know? bizarre. Abs- I don't think either of us knew. I mean, that that was, I mean, I don't know about you, but that was the last like workshop I went to for you know the last 16 months or so. I don't think either of us foresaw that. Well, and then I just watched my, uh, uh, my career change. We'll just say my career change and evolve. I mean, I just, fortunately, I'm in a good situation. Uh, I mean, I hate to say this, but, you know, uh, I, I hate to say this because I know some listeners are struggling, but, uh, and so God bless y'all. But uh, because of the way I set things up in my life and uh, uh, we were, we're, we're, we had a very nice year. We're, we're, we're okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, because you, you know, when we were about to jump on, I was just, going through some of your stuff and, and I was looking at your websites and, uh, Dan John workouts. And, uh, you know, I remember you were showing us that down at the RKC cause it was kind of just being built out, but I was like, Oh my gosh. And when I was looking at that, I was like, his timing for that program was, was impeccable because suddenly every single person on the planet needed an at home kind of workout program. Well, yeah, ab- yeah, absolutely. Uh, an amazing amount of things. Yeah. And, and, and Hey, you know what? <clears throat> I mean, you know, what do they always say? There's those, there's a, there's a cliche about, you know, obviously when the student is ready, the mentor appears, but there's another one about opportunity. And frankly, I, you know, I've been working, I've been working a long time to be this lucky, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> I love Tom Plummer's little line. Uh, Dan John is an overnight success. It just took him 40 years to get there. Yeah. I think that's funny. He says that in a lot of workshops. He says, yeah, no one ever heard of him. Then he begins, no, people had heard of him. He just, you know, he, he just wasn't out selling my soul as some people do. And there's nothing wrong with selling. You know, I'm just, uh, I, yeah. So let's say, hey, so with, let's get started. It's good to hear your voice and, uh, Hopefully we'll uh, be in a room together soon with a microphone and a bunch of people eating bologna sandwiches. A couple kettlebells for sure. Well, I think a cool place to kind of begin and and looking ahead to my 2021 and, you know, I I help a lot of people with their programs and things like that too. And uh, I think one thing that might be a cool topic to kick off with, Dan, is is just about standards. So performance standards. Whether it's, uh, you know, the doorway pull-ups or, you know, whether it's your humane burpees workout in a certain amount of time, what kind of standards mm-hmm. 
that do you kind of use for at-home fitness? Because from my view, you know, a lot of people, we kind of reactively ended up in this at-home. You know, we kept thinking it was going to be another month and then another two months and then another three months. And and so I feel like people started to really, you know, like you say, punch the clock. But some at some point, you know, I think we kind of started getting in that rhythm and maybe some folks have kind of drifted from you know, clear goals and clear objectives and, and standards that can kind of keep the, the wheels on the bus. And I think that those are key. And I think you've, you've kind of, you know, done some work and written on this. So I think it might be a cool place to start. Well, okay. So first we have to step back. Okay. And, you know, so I, I, you know, I'm, ter- I mean, every time I hear someone's got a standard, I go in and I cut and paste it or retype the whole damn thing. And, you know, uh, I, I'm a bit of a lunatic when it comes to this because I love them. Um, it's interesting, though. So with, with the lead athletes, it's weird because, you know, the standards aren't that different from sport to sport to sport to sport for elite. So if I'm talking to a group of javelin throwers, discus throwers, uh, football players, even rugby, it's going to be over a 200-pound snatch, over a 300-pound clean, and 400-pound squat keeps coming up over and over and over, just 400. But when you get to, when you talk about the everyday person, um, how many how many ways do you want me to attack this? Uh, yeah, so, you know, like what sort of, I suppose, what kind of standards could we create or, or any kind of guardrails with, you know, minimal equipment? You know, I think people... Let's go first with guardrails. I like that first. Okay, so ready? Here's some guardrails. Uh, first, you need to be able to stand on one foot and probably both, you know, either for 10 seconds. Uh, just stand on one foot for 10 seconds. If you can't, I send you to a doctor. Uh, I'd like to see you build that up to 30 seconds, and I don't care who you are, okay? I think you should be able to take a, a weight of some kind, sit at the bottom of the goblet squat for 30 seconds, and stand up. Now, if you can't do that, if both, either of those, then we already know the issues I need to attack. If you can't stand at one foot, we might have an issue with obesity. We might, hey, hey, maybe there's a disease first. Let's clear that. Let's get that cleared out. There may be an issue with obesity, number two. Uh, number three, that would be the whole family of balance and strength. And balance and strength dance with each other. Uh, I would say more like a waltz. Uh, if you if you don't have, you need both in the right amount to be useful. So uh, if you're doing speed skating or rollerblading, you need to have enough balance, but enough strength to stay on that single leg. You got that? Mm-hmm. So, so those are two. The third one, I think you should be able to hang from a bar for 30 seconds. Interesting on that is with women, it's a, it's a grip strength tester. For men, it's basically from the belly button up mobility flexibility test. Mm. Uh, so I, got, I know a lot of guys who could physically hold onto the bar, but they can't hang because literally their tendons are being ripped off. <laughs> their ligaments or whatever they are being ripped off. Um, I think you should be able to pick up your body weight and carry it. And I don't care how far, but I think you should be able to do that. Uh, and then I think you should be able to get up and down off the floor. It'd be nice if you only had one additional point of contact. Uh, that would be that Brazilian test. You try, try to score an eight. That would be 
where you put one helping hand down. So when you go to the ground, you put a helping hand on the floor, and then you swim your butt, your butt underneath. When you stand up, you put one hand, and then you swim your butt back and stand up. Um, those, those to me, uh, those to me are the. Uh, uh, here's the final one. I forgot about this. Sorry. Uh, you should be able to standing long jump your height, <laughs> not over your height, but for distance. If you're six foot. You should be able to jump six feet. Um, now, what's nice about these particular easy at home tests is that any kind of thought or insight or and I, and I have to throw an experience on this is <clears throat> going to give you. Um, it's going to explain to you your issues. If you can't squat for 30 seconds, I know it's mobility. I know it might be uh, what I call anaconda strength, but many more people would call it core, but they're not the same. And so we build from there. Okay. And then the next round would be specific to the point um, te uh, tests. And I use a push, a pull, a squat, and a hinge, and I throw the loaded carries out on here. If you go to my website, danjohn.net, and just look up Sleepless in Seattle. I was in Seattle when I put this whole page together. And maybe you should maybe even uh, put a link to it. Yep. Uh, Paul Wysingo uh, gave me some very good numbers um, to help people, uh, you know, figure out this, where you should be. But here's the mistake people make. So, so I'm like a seven when it comes to like the press, okay? Uh, it, the lists go from one to seven. The one for a male might be something that's doing a push-up or 10 or something, something very minimal. Um, I don't remember what seven is in the lift, but it's a, I don't know, like press your body weight uh, overhead. Okay, just say that, okay? Two is pull-ups and, you know, you should be able to do uh, you know, some minimal thing like a tier, suspended row, Suspended uh, row for 10, okay? And um, seven is 15 push-ups, okay? You, you follow with that? Follow, yeah. Uh, on the squat, one is the goblet squat, a light, light weight for one. A seven is the overhead squat, your body weight for 15. Uh, deadlift is a, a seven is a double body weight deadlift. Well, here's what I'm trying to teach people with this. So if you figure it out, you should have what we call the diamond, where – you should be at sevens at all four tests. And by the way, if you're at sevens, the weight room is not your problem. Okay, if you if you can overhead squat your body weight and do 15 pull-ups and press your body weight, oh, it's bench your body weight for 15. It just came back to me. And double body weight deadlift, your problem, if you're not successful, is not in the weight room. If, if you still look terrible, it's your diet. If you still can't compete, it's your techniques and your strategies and your tactics. But a guy like me, hi, I'm Dan John, and I have what's called a flat tire. So I max out three of the tests, and I'm out of one or two on the pulling. So, Joe, when you see me in the gym doing uh, overhead press, your job is to walk over me and say, hey, that's great, uh, strong guy, but let's get back over the pull-up bar. And I'll begin to weep and complain uh, <laughs> about how terrible the world is. And then uh, I will... I'll, I'll put my head down and sullenly walk over to the uh, uh, pull-up bar and do my ugly two reps. And then you say, yeah, you're only 13 short of where you need to be. Then you come in on Wednesday and you see me over there deadlifting. You'll go, oh, Danny, let's get you back over to the pull-up bar. And what you want is you want – it's better to be a one 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 
than it is to be a five, two, seven, one. Does that make sense? Perfect sense. So when you're talking about standards, the key isn't just to have a whole bunch of numbers on a piece of paper, but what you want to be able to do is, okay, you're very good in this and this, but here's your problem. So everything I do in all my assessments is, and it's my one, two, three, four assessment for the, the general population, everybody else client, is what I'm trying to do is show and circle, you know, uh, <laughs> you know here, here, here's your sign, here's your problem, here's your issue. And, and the problem is almost universally, people don't like to work on what's wrong with them. They want to work on their strengths. And by the way, I mean, I'm a coach. We're going to compete with our strengths, but we're going to work like hell on our weaknesses. Okay. So, you know, like John Powell told me, you know, I'm a fat, Dan John is a fast twitch monster. I'm, I'm fast twitch, but I'm not six foot seven. I'm six foot. So when we compete in the discus throw, I am going to be drinking, I'll be fasted, drinking 35 pounds of coffee, eating, you know, coffee beans, uh, you know, snorting Coca-Cola, um, <laughs> You know, just getting buzzed, getting pissy, you know, because I'm going to use all the fast twitch I can. When when I'm training, I'm going to try to have the longest levers. I'm going to try to actively have a long, long pull on the throw. When I compete, I'm flying in and out. When I'm training, I'm working on my weakness. So if we're a team that runs the ball really, really well in football, we're I'm going to run the ball down your throat. But we're going to practice the things we're not good at during the week. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. So what we need to do with people is it's okay to play with your strengths and hide your weaknesses, but that's not a good way to go through your fitness life. Makes perfect sense. And and um, real quick, just on the on your goblet squat test, Dan. Um, you know, I assume that's probably with a light bell, like I think you mentioned. And, um, is that just beyond parallel? Because I can just envision some folks like just sitting all the way into the bottom of the squad asking what's for lunch, you know? So how do you advise on depth on that? Actually, I want that. Oh, you want that? Yeah, I want, want, well, the key is this, when your elbows push your knees out. Mm -hmm. So, and then where you drop from there is going to be assessment. But here's the thing in the 30 seconds. The bell, the load of the bell in front, all that counterbalance is going to put a huge stress on your hips and on your, well, really it's your belly and your back. That I, I call it the mummification. That's where they, you wrap your belly around with bands. That's good. And that's the thing I'm trying to see you fail at. Got it. Do you have the, the ability to hold on to core tension for 30 seconds? Got it. Yep. Makes perfect sense. And, and as it relates to the sort of flat tire. So if, if somebody's got the, uh, let's say that their pull up is, is their weak link. How do you take that into their program in terms of if they're training, say three days a week in the garage? Um, you know, are you, are you having them work on that weakness every single day that they're training or are they, are they doing one dedicated day? Do you put it, you know, I always joke that Monday is like international bench press day, but if, do you have them like at the start of the week, just hit that weakness real hard. And then as they fatigue throughout the week and work and kids and everything else, they start to work on their strengths. How do you do it? The smartest thing I've ever seen, and this is true. I got this from a young Austrian. His name was Arnold something or other. Nice man. I don't know whatever happened to him. 
um, it became a I guess it became bodybuilder. I don't know, but it, it's what you should do first in the workout. And I always argue with people that whatever you do, whatever you do first is. So, for example, if I if I walk into a weight room and I see you front squatting, that's the first thing you do. I know that you're a serious trainer and you're going to be around a long time. And I'm actually probably going to fear you if I have to take you one-on-one. If I walk in the, into the weight room, the first thing you do is reverse curls on the easy curl bar. Then I, I feel very confident that I will destroy you on the field of play. Uh, so if you walk in and you train your weaknesses first, and by the way, usually, you know, like I tell this is an odd thing, but I tell people I never coach uh, boys in the bench press or arm work. I never program it because I know they're going to do it. And for females, I never program ab work or stretching because I know they're going to do it. So by if I make you do your pull-ups first, you know, hi, I'm Dan John, and I should do pull-ups first, everybody in the gym knows I'm going to press and front squat and snatch because I like doing that stuff. Does that make sense to you? Yep. Now, there's another technique that now, this would be for your more serious listeners, but um, you would do your weak thing first in the workout, about half of the workout, and then at the end of the workout, the other half. So if you're going to do uh, four sets of hangs from the bar, or you can do you know, four sets of pulse, we'll just make that up. You do two in the beginning, you do two at the end. And interesting, uh, a lot of people, that sounds odd, but a lot of people actually do far better uh, th- doing it that way. We have the, uh, but it's like you know when you learn how to type. If you uh, if you had a one hour typing class, but then that night you typed up your homework for English, you came in the next day and you were far ahead of your classmates who hadn't typed since yesterday. Does it make sense? Yep. So whenever you're trying to teach the body something, the more bouts of repetition you have. The repetitions are still the same. It's 40. Okay, whatever. I just made that number up. But you had two bouts of 20, which seems to be superior in learning than one big long hit in the face. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Just that that kind of consistency. And and Dan, with, with pull-ups just while we're here, and then we can kind of move on, but curious with... Uh, females, what kind of rep schemes? I know there's a lot of uh, strong women out there and, and I find myself programming higher and higher rep pull-ups for women. I think women are just so incredible. They've just been training so hard and really kind of breaking down a lot of barriers. You know, I think some yeah. of my female clients can actually do more pull-ups than a lot of my guys. Do you, do you use uh, any different approaches in terms of programming and rep schemes as it relates to vertical pulling for women? Yeah, let's, I mean, let's go back. If someone can't do a pull-up, and I, and I actually do this with my military guys now, we do an entire month of just straight arm hangs. Uh, week one, they hang one time every workout. Week two, they have two hangs. Week three, three. Week four, four hangs. Uh, month two, we have do the bent arm hangs. Week one, one round, two, three, four, just like the other one. And by the time week month three comes around, and they start doing pull-ups, that two months of hanging is actually superior, we've discovered, than doing actual training pull-ups. It's like I told you at the CERT, if you're struggling your press and you do waiter walks and rack walks, your body will fill the middle in and you'll get better at pressing. So it's the same basic idea. 
Uh, so for women, very often, it's not mobility flexibility. It's simply grip strength. So, But if I can get a woman to hang for two or three minutes, and some do, they when we finally test them in the pull-up, it's like they got shot out of the cannon. Um, so now, once you get to the your, the question, if I'm making women do pull-ups, I will stick with the exact same advice I give men. With pull-ups, the bulk of your sets should be about around half the reps you can do. So if you can do 20 reps, the bulk of your sets will be 8, 10, 12. And then we, we would dance with load. And that's just to save the elbows, by the way. Every time, uh, it's called MAPS, middle-aged pull-up syndrome. Every time you get in that weird position about halfway up on a pull-up and you, you fight about halfway up and slowly <laughs> drop back down, you all know what I'm talking about. That's where you destroy the elbow. Mm-hmm. And that's where you get that, my elbow taken. Anybody who's listening who's ever had a pull-up elbow issue, I can guarantee that when I touch my elbow, you're touching your elbow at the exact same spot. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And when you do your bent arm hang, dang, do you, Dan, do you do it over chin over bar or do you do the sort of 90 degree bent arm hang? Uh, I would prefer that you have your neck touch the bar uh, uh, as that is by far the hardest spot to get. Mm-hmm. Many of the men I work with can't do it because they're so broken. Mm-hmm. But if your neck, I didn't say your chin. So here's your chin. Okay, it's not a, we're not on video. Here's your chin. Here's your jaw. Here's the skin that's on your jaw. No, no. Neck. It has to touch your neck. And that, by the way, makes it a total game changer. And by the way, I don't care what grip you use. I never have and never will. Yeah. So you don't you allow people to do, say, a chin up grip? Yeah. Well, because I mean <laughs> If you ever get caught, you know, with a crocodile and have to climb a tree, uh, uh, whatever <laughs> is just fine. You know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna. <laughs> oh, you save your life by doing the wrong grip. Uh, I think you do well. There's three grips. You know, there's the hands out pull up, the hands in chin up, but and the third, which I think a lot of people miss, is the parallel grip. And I think that the parallel grip might be more valuable in the real world. So if you go to a schoolyard and you find monkey bars doing pull-ups, but you know, with your head popping through the monkey bars, really a good way to, and that by the way, will also save the elbows. So. Yeah. This conversation is very reminiscent to the years I spent at Spartan doing obstacle race training because, you know, we were just trying to bulletproof people for monkey bars. So we worked on dead hangs a lot more than, than pull-ups because that was, you know, it just wrecked people, but absolutely those pull-ups between the, uh, between the monkey bars are just unbelievable. People get a lot larger range of motion too. Yes. And that's, and that's, you know, and I, we got to get away that this will shock some of your listeners, but there are no Olympics for the pull-up, and it really bothers me. I mean, it's, it's it's funny. I'll get in these things with people and be like, "Well, why are you doing pull-ups instead of chin-ups?" It doesn't matter. What I'm it's it's an exercise that makes that really rounds out good training. But whatever gets, we're just trying to get the job done here. We're not, uh, you know, it's like. You know, I think it came from the workout that shall not be named, where all of a sudden you have rules about calisthenics. You know, you know, like the one guy said, I I, I play real sports. I don't, you know, I don't, 
I don't try to win games, you know, uh, when you're, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, you, you know, whatever that eastbound and down or this, like, whatever it's called. But so for me, I don't, uh, I, I get why there is a value to the pull up, to the chin up. I get it. But if it's blowing some people's elbows about, uh, then why are we still doing this, man? You know? Right. And I, yeah. I think it's an interesting point, Dan. And, you know, you've been, you know, you've seen this industry you know, from your buddy Arnold all the way to modern day, you've watched this industry and, you know, you've seen us. What's that? Well before him. Well before him. Yeah, that's, that's true. So is there, what, what was the time, Dan, if you could go back to like any two or three year, maybe it's five year period in fitness training, uh, you know, when did, when did we have it the most right? Like, when do you think the most people were getting seriously strong and, and hopefully avoid 1974? No, we're done. It's 1974. Um, just, uh, so 75, 76, 77, that's when Arnold, the educational bodybuilder came out. That's when pumping iron came out. But in 74, I mean, you go to a gym and you'd see, and, I, and the reason I know this is because I was there and you would see the older gym rats teaching the younger gym rats how to put a bar away, how to, you know, don't, you don't step on things. You clean up after you use things. Um, you would see people doing, you always saw people squatting and deadlift. The squats were a little different. They had a thousand more variations than we have now. But you would see a mix of Olympic lifting, lots of people doing the clean and press. I mean, just lots and lots of people doing the clean and press. Uh, you didn't see the deadlift much. Now you did not see the deadlift much. I'll admit that uh, because there wasn't always enough weight, uh, and you would see people doing stuff like the bodybuilding exercises, but you saw them like straight bar curls, and guys wouldn't take. I mean, you know, the, the same guy was just over there clean and pressing two hundred twenty-five would be doing curls with one hundred and sixty-five, one hundred eighty-five, and. Uh, three days a week was king. Um, whole body workouts were king and no one, people worked hard, longer gym sessions. Uh, no one fought over the music because there was no music. Um, no one wore stupid stuff because there was, we were just, a. Uh, it was nice. <laughs> it was nice. Yeah. What, what? I could, I could Olympic lift or front squat in a gym and no one would come up and say, what the F are you doing? Because people knew what the Olympic lifts were and what front squats were. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What What do you think was missing? And I'm sure you still got your training plans from 1974. But what What do you think was missing from that program? If you were going to just take your training plan from 1974 and drop it into 2021, what What would you Would you add anything? Well, it's funny you say that because about a month ago I posted a workout I found of mine from 1974. <clears throat> I started off the day doing incline bench press. I did clean and jerk, I did deadlift, and then I finished with high pulls. Because someone I read somewhere that high pulls were a great way to finish workouts because you had this explosive exercise that you could, you know, you didn't have to worry about your technique. So I thought that was the right way to do it. Now I want you to listen about that. So this is 1974, which puts me at the ripe old age of, uh, I don't do math, 16 or 17. How many 16-year-olds do you know would on their own go to the gym and do incline bench, clean and jerk, deadlift, and high pull. Uh, not, not, None. not too many. But 
I want you to hear this. If you, you sent a bunch of high school boys into the gym now, they would bench press and work arms. Yeah. I inclined. I'll, I'll grant that. But come on. Incline, deadlift, clean and jerk, hypo. And so uh, I look back now at some of those workouts. I had, I had fallen for the cult of the bench press. And I'm very candid about that in all my books. You know, forgive me, please. Um, but uh, yeah, overall, you know, it's funny. I, you know, I, I, when I was coaching high school, so I was a high school discus thrower. I weighed 162 pounds and threw 170. And I showed one of my athletes one time a video of me. And the first thing the kid said was, well, you're so skinny. And I thought, yeah, that's true. But what was weird about this athlete who snuck up on 300 pounds, I was stronger in the bench press than this athlete. In fact, I was stronger in every single exercise than this athlete. And he threw 149 pounds, uh, feet. I threw 170. He threw 149. What was the difference between the two of us is, I weighed 162 and I was probably, I've seen the pictures. I mean, I'm 1% body fat. There's, I, I, am, I am shredded, man. <laughs> uh, and this kid was 50% body fat. We probably, in, in a DEXA scam or a you know, water weight test, we probably had the same Madeline body mass, except I didn't eat, you know, at McDonald's 12 times a day and eat sugar smacks and mac and cheese. And that's the biggest change I've seen. Uh, I talk to people about this all the time who are my age, and I say, remember the kid you thought was fat in the third grade, you, the one you called Pudgy or something? Yeah. Go back and look at that class photo again and, and the, from the 60s. And all the time people say, Wait a second. The, the biggest change I've seen, and this is not related to our topic, it's just how much fatter. It's so rude to say this, and I know it's cruel. And gentle listener, I, I, I will fly out to your home and I'll give you a hug and we'll walk down the street together and you can have people throw whatever one throws at someone who does something truthful. But the, the, obesity level, the obesity level on our teenage athlete now um, and then they want to bomb and blitz their biceps and triceps and it's like dude you gotta yeah <laughs> you gotta eat vegetables and fermented foods and drink water and, uh, you gotta yeah I, so if you don't that way i think there's some truth there yeah I, I totally agree and i think you know one of the things that that when i kind of look out and you know i'm looking at you know my nieces and nephews or that are now you know entering high school and um you know also looking kind of where the world is going and you know the obesity thing is you know obviously you know related to food and things like that but also when i when i think to your 1974 program john i i wonder what sort of you i remember you said at that last rkc we were at together might have been one of the ones prior you said, you know, when I was a kid or when I was competing, you know, recovery meant going home and eating dinner. And I always loved that quote because, you know, now we got a, a mobility tool for every every muscle and every joint and we got to be doing the, you know, this and that and this and that. And I think that there's a certain, you know, the there's a certain like, I, th I think we've become, uh, you know, maybe in some respects we're we're fitter and we're stronger and but in other respects, I think we're a lot weaker. And I think psychologically, I think you probably took a lot of, of uh, just just willpower and strength into the gym that 
that I want to give my kid and, and I think is lacking from a lot of the modern day approaches. Do you, can you, can you run with that concept a little bit? Do you agree? Can I give you a story? And I think it, it's a little bit long. Um, it's great. And that's it's a little bit, but it, it might help you understand it. My sophomore year at Skyline College, San Bruno, California, it was a great year for me. My GPA was through the roof. Okay, let's listen now. Okay, ready? I was going to be the state champion in the discus. California, by the way, not, you know, some podunk little, but a big track state champion discus. I would be the MVP on that team. I would be the captain of that team. I would be the captain of the state championship team. So I won the individual and our team won the overall. Got that? You, you with me? With you. Okay. And I'm being recruited by a lot of very major universities. Got, got all these. So you got that. One day at practice, Coach uh, Lahati walks up to me and goes, Dan, you know, usually, you know, coaches, when they're recruiting somebody, come talk to me first. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. He goes, well, every time we have a track meet, that one coach comes over and you two talk for a while. What's that all about? And I said, Coach, I honestly don't know who you're talking about. And he goes, it's a short guy. He always wears a suit. I go, oh, Coach, that's my dad. Coach, this is my second year at Skyline, it, by the way, and I lived at home. My mom and dad went to every single track meet they could. My, I was Coach Lahati's MVP, state champion, my second year there, and my parents he didn't know they were my parents. At the next track meet, he runs up into the stands, sits down. He's not coaching our team. He's sitting down with my parents, meeting them. What's the point of this wonderful story about how great I am? The point of this whole story is that my mom and dad never talked to my coaches. They never helicoptered me. I, God bless my father. He did shag my, uh, I gotta be careful. If you have an international audience, I have to be care, careful about how I say this. Um, we do. They, they did. Because <laughs> shag means, in America, it means you get the distance and then you, uh, you, you, you throw it back. But in other parts of the world, it means something else. Um, my dad would come out with me on the weekends and, and get the discus back to me. <sighs> my parents didn't push. They didn't prod. They just supported. They didn't come talk to the coach five minutes after an event and go, don't you think Danny would have done better at a strong safety than outside linebacker this week? No. And I think part of the problem we have is when you do have when a child is involved in 2020, the parents make it part of their, well, they, they put their ego into it. And I know that's a cruel thing to say, gentle listener, but I think it's true. Right. And I, I think people need to hear it. And, you know, I, I worked, my first gym was predominantly high school baseball players. And, you know, in that world, you know, it is, it is yeah. absolutely rampant, you know? Um, so you, you're, you're, that, that they, yeah, I'm, I'm working with uh, John Buck. He's a former major league uh, baseball player, good friend of mine. And, uh, you know, these, and, and, and God bless him. I get it. But these dads and these 11 year olds, yeah, my son, it's like, yeah, yeah, but you're in, you're in a false world. It's 11 year old baseball, you know, um, or even the dad who's got the 14 year old kid who hit puberty first, dude, it's they're. You, the kid just won puberty roulette. They're, they're not better. They're just, 
you know, the kid has a beard in the eighth grade. He's, he's a man throwing fastballs at 68 miles an hour. And the little boy's going, hi, coach. Uh, yeah. That kid, <laughs> give him three years, let him hit puberty. It's, oh, it drives me crazy, man. Sorry to butt in on that, Joe. Yeah, no, you're, you're great. Hey, guys, sorry to interrupt the show with Dan John, but I wanted to give you guys a quick heads up on the most flavorful resolution that you can make a new grill, Traeger Grills. If you guys follow me on Instagram, you've seen me cooking just some of the most amazing things. If you actually, I didn't do any social media over December. So pretty recently in my feed, you'll see my Thanksgiving turkey that I smoked for hours inside my Traeger Grill and it came out absolutely phenomenal. So if you guys are looking to kick up your flavor experience and your ancestral diet even further with an incredible cooking solution, head on over to TraegerGrills.com. That's T-R-A-E-G-E-R-G-R-I-L-L-S.com slash stacked. And when you get there, you're going to find really cool offers like 0% financing and a whole line of incredible grills that will take your flavor to the next level in 2021. All right, guys, now let's jump back to the show with Mr. Dan John. And so, Dan, with those, you know, I guess it's a little selfish. My nephew, as an example, is an 11-year-old ball player. And, and you know, my sister texted me the other day, like, he, you know, this was actually funny. Uh, she texted me, like, he deadlifted 185 yesterday, you know. And my first question was, straight bar or trap bar? <laughs> and she said, and she says, trap bar. And I'm like, wow, I'm impressed you know what that is. So if you had, um, Dan, if you had a, a 10 or 11-year-old, you know, what kind of, you know, program, and it can be high level, but what exercise? maybe would you have them avoid or what exercise would you focus on or you know where would you be focused as a parent number one uh i think the game hide and go seek and then number two tag uh these are probably the two oldest games humans have hide and go seek uh if poopy comes down man the ability to hide might save your life tag is of course an essential game for not only uh, uh but it teaches evasion it teaches attacking and I'm being serious. If if your child doesn't know how to play games, they have to have their face in a and on a Game Boy, whatever the things are nowadays. It, those are the skill sets you cannot. The ability, you know, when you're chasing your friend around in the schoolyard playing tag, and he goes into those tight inner circles, and then you have to at top speed turn into a tight inner circle. That's a thousand times better than the nonsense I do in a gym. Mm. Okay. You might disagree with me, but here's the thing. I'm right, so it's fine. <laughs> uh, uh, then what you want to do is have the child play as many sports as you can. I had a friend from Ireland come visit me, and Utah has a select elite Olympic soccer team, and they're out there playing. He comes in shaking his head, and I go, what's, what's wrong? He goes, these kids couldn't play in a Dublin pickup uh, street game. I go, what? He goes, yeah, these kids are terrible. They're all one-sided. They only kick with the right foot. Everything is right-handed. And he goes, these kids aren't very good. And don't forget, Ireland's not a good soccer nation. So one of the worst soccer nations in the world thinks that our elite select Olympic development soccer players suck. That's not high praise. But these kids have been in, they play a million games a year, and they're in, but they're not learning the game. They should be playing with 22-year-old, 23-year-old. The 13-year-olds should be playing with their, you know, their 
very talented older cousins and brothers who demand, demand uh, a better game, I think. But you should play as many sports and as many games as you can. Uh, if this boy doesn't know how to swim, it's far more important to take him to swimming lessons than it is to have him throw more with his right hand. If this boy doesn't know how to ride a bike and well, that's far more important than all the other nonsense because swimming and bike riding are something you cannot, you should not teach adult because it's, it's a little late to teach an adult that. Uh, as many games as they can. The lessons you learn in soccer about triangulation carry immediately over to basketball and just about every other sport. Uh, team games are all about triangulation. And then, of course, you know, uh, well, you know, we'll stop there. Um, you know, I would strongly suggest, you know, that the child have, a you know, some kind of exposure to leisure sports like bowling and golf and ultimate frisbee as as well because the kid's going to learn those skills and it's weird little skills they're going to carry over into everything there's a popular game now called disc golf i think it's just called disc golf it might be another word you know but i watch those guys play and I, the whole time i'm watching them the math they have to do uh first you know for setting up their throw to me, I'm looking at that, and it's like, yeah, you're right. It's just you walk around a park throwing a frisbee for you know three hours. Yeah, that's true, but you're also becoming a better athlete because you're learning to do what humans do best, and that's predict the future. If I throw the ball, if I throw the disc like this, and I curve it around the tree, I can get it, you know, in one more shot. You know, I'll be at par. Okay, so you're attempting to predict the future, which of course. They said what made Wayne Gretzky the greatest hockey player of all time was his ability to predict where the puck was going to be. Any idiot can tell you where the puck is. A gifted athlete tells you where it's going to be. And uh, in the areas of uh, physical development, I think you should be able to fight, crawl, break you know, monkey bars, um, hang, um, uh, crawl, hang, you know, all those things that are going to save your life. And then from there, the answer to your question, they should learn an authentic squat. They should learn the ability to press overhead. They should be doing pull-ups. Just very basic, low-end calisthenics and the basics of movement. It's beautiful. And when you were talking, those other sports, you know, those more leisurely sports, you know, those are also the interesting, just for my kind of somewhat limited compared to you, uh, experience with these types of athletes. They're also, I used to call them initiary. So like they're kind of the sports where people can kind of mentally break the most because, you know, like the pitcher, the, you know, the golfer, it's like things can, you know, go wrong. And it's all about you controlling your mental state in order to get the thing back on the track. And as an example, I used to catch bullpens for high school baseball players. And, you know, I'd, I'd catch 30 or 40 pitches just right down the pike. And then all of a sudden one wild pitch and then seven wild pitches in a row after that. Right. And so there's this, like, there's also in those more leisurely sports, there's a, there's a sort of component of of some sort of psychological strength as well as it relates to the outcome uh, after all that premeditation well I, I had a great baseball coach at the school i was coaching he's very, he's very famous he's in the hall of fame and uh, we would talk for hours in fact we became close friends 
by volunteering at bingo. And that's how we would, uh, during the break, we would always just talk. And I, that's why I became a better javelin coach because of and a better javelin thrower. But he used to talk about these parents would show up bragging about their kid. You know, little Billy is going to be in the, you know, Major League Baseball. Well, why? Well, last year as an eighth grader, he was pitching 83 miles an hour. And Steve would say, at best, you could only have about three miles per hour in high school. That gets him up to 86, which is, which is what a breaking ball is, is in, in, trip, in AAA. Right. I had an athlete that threw 95 miles an hour and didn't get a sniff. Because, well, I would say there was there was two issues of control, his personal control and his ball control. But 20 years ago, 95 miles an hour high school kid, you know, he'd be writing his ticket. And that's just not true anymore because now with the strength training and looking for taller pitchers, uh, you know, the pitchers seem to be going about, what was that one guy who played tight end for Notre Dame? And He's had a long, he's 6'5", and 6'7", more than Norm now. Randy Johnson was, hell, he could play basketball. Um, so, you know, when that guy's stepping off the mound at 6'10", <laughs> it doesn't matter if he throws a 85 or 95 because the ball coming, he's cut that, was it, was it 60 feet, 2 inches? Is that from uh, mound to 60 mound? feet, 6 inches, I think. Yeah, 6 inches, you're right, 6 <laughs> inches. Well, if you can cut you know, you don't have a lot of time to react anyway, but if you can cut that reaction time by six more inches, uh, that, that, it sounds so minimal. Right. Uh, but the, the eyes, the eye and the brain of the batter can only pick up. They're, they just lost six inches of clue of, of information. And you don't get that back. Balls in the uh, catcher's glove. So, oh, I'm sorry. I did that. I went off a little bit there. No, it's great, Dan. It's great. It's always, uh, just awesome chatting with you. No, it's, it's so true. And, and, um, you know, I think pitchers now it's just, you know, it's all about keeping kids healthy, I think as they're coming up. And, you know, I think a lot of those kids that are throwing hard in high school, it's like half of them have already had a Tommy John or two. It's like getting, it's getting wild out there. Um, Dan. and And they're really pushing that in the group I work with. Okay, the kid is allowed a baseball season, and then that's it. You know, right? And here's the other thing: you know, what if you you're rolling the dice on your kid? You know, if they don't if they don't have the the gift, you know, they could have been the best kayaker the world's ever seen, but you decide to focus little Billy on being a you know a third baseman, and the kid doesn't have the skill set, that doesn't have the DNA. You know, Uh, but. They could have been great in a million other things, but you, it's, so I used to help out. I won't mention the school's name, but uh, the football coach at the school didn't allow the boys to do any other sports. And after the last football game, their senior year, basically he gave them the middle finger and said, bye-bye now. Well, a lot of those boys would come out for track and I would help them because of, I would help their head coach with the shot put and discus. And they would say after about three weeks, I love this. And then they would say to me, why didn't I do this for four years? And my answer was, I don't know. I, Because <laughs> you wanted to play, you wanted to end your career at 17, and congratulations to you. But you could have been in a million sports. Yeah. Right. I think there's, I, I love what you said about your parents, just, you know, and it's kind of the, the mind state I'm taking to my parenting is just, you know, let him evolve, let him grow, stay out of his way, provide him guardrails, but make sure he does experience that diverse, 
uh, collection of, of physical and emotional and mental and spiritual disciplines to create a, a more well-rounded person that actually has confidence that he's doing the right thing with his life. And I think, I think your, your mix of, uh, of sports is pretty brilliant. And I know, you know, for me, I've been thinking about this, you know, and obviously it's going to be his choice, but like, I think soccer is a great, you know, just in terms of developing fitness, like you said about the swimming and the biking, developing fitness that will be the most sort of either, uh, transferable later, or it's just easier, like a language to learn as a kid, as opposed to, you know, I can't imagine hanging out in my driveway right now, trying to, you know, dribble a soccer ball on my head or something. Right. And you know, the nice thing about doing that kind of thing, dribbling the basketball by playing by yourself is you pick up, uh, that's where the self-discipline comes in. And that's why I'm such a big fan of, well, like when I worked with the Paul Northway and I, I said, I wouldn't work with him until he threw the discus by himself a thousand times. And the joke is, you know, three days later, he called me and said, now what? I'm like, okay. And he, he, he became our national champion, you know, uh, four, four years later, (laughs) because he had, he had the, he had the, the grit, the, the self will to go out in the field and throw for by himself for a long, 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 long time. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. One thing, one thing, Dan, and that I wanted to bring up in our in our earlier conversation is also about rest periods, and I think this is another thing that ties nicely into self discipline because. And you had some posts. You've been just absolutely fantastic on Instagram, putting out videos all the time, and and of course in the show notes, uh, you know, we'll link to all of your stuff, and you can tell us where to find you as well. But um, the um, you did a post recently on rest periods and. I think it was a five or six minute video and, and you kind of explore just, uh, kind of the importance of rest periods as you're training. And this is kind of switching back, but as you're training in your garage or in your house or, or wherever, uh, you know, the importance of, of knowing your rest period and, and abiding by it. Can you, can you kind of explore a little bit about, um, rest periods and the importance as we're all trying to fit, you know, our workouts in that 20 minutes we have between meetings or, you know, whatever, get it, getting the most out of our workout with minimal equipment anyway. Well, you know, I, uh, I make this joke a lot. You know, I, I get, I hate the question about rest periods. I, I just hate, I loathe it. Okay. Because I, what do you mean by what you did? I mean, well, I'm going, you know, I, you know, you know, for some of the stuff I see online, you don't need to rest from that. Right? You really should do something. And then I also argue, uh, you know, number one is that there will be a time where you'll have all the rest you'll ever need. And, uh, so if you feel like I'm pushing you too hard, um, you know, hundred years from now, you'll have plenty of time to catch up with your rest. In fact, it'll be eternal rest. Um, so that's kind of a joke. That's not funny. Um, it, 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 what do you mean by rest periods? You know, what I know in my career, I only deadlifted three times heavy in my life, uh, uh, twice on bets and once in a contest because the Utah State weightlifting team needed a hundred kilo lifter. And two days before the event, uh, Jesse asked me if I had lifted on Saturday in the hundred kilo class. I'm like, yeah, what are the events? You know, squat, bench, and deadlift. I know how to do those. Let's show up. And I showed up. <laughs> And I had the, at three, three o'clock in the morning on Sunday, I deadlifted more than anybody else. But what I didn't realize is what a toll those deadlifts took on me. So for me to recover, it took me probably three weeks fully to recover from that, that little lift. And then, uh, 
another thing I didn't realize, like high rep squat. Uh, I always joke about this workout I did in June of 1979, where I back squat at 315 for 30, 275 for 30, and then 225 for 30. Well, people say, well, what were your rest periods? That was a two-hour workout. Right. Well, do the math. My rest periods were 45 minutes to an hour. Right. Because to step back up and be interested uh, in uh, doing, uh, um, <laughs> to, to, to step back from the bar and do 30 reps with 315, it took me a while. In fact, uh, I remember Dick Notmeyer and Eric Subert imitating me later of me sitting on the incline with this grayish, nauseous, greenish color. <laughs> uh, so how long that, you know, so it really, so rest period just is just like this thing that I just don't know. Uh, when we're doing the cert with you, you did you notice what I was, what did I do about rest periods? Do you remember? Yeah, there's not much there. I mean, you're just, it's kind of like, you know, I guess somewhat earned and uh, you're trying to stay moving. You're, you're more into active recovery and um, yeah. I mean, we just went. I mean, we only had a two or three days to get a whole bunch of material through. So if you were tired, well, you'll be you'll be Monday. You'll rest. Um, you know, I, I think we're doing a really interesting experiment right now with uh, American football with this bizarre schedule this year. Um, you know, yesterday the Cleveland Browns played. And I swore they had just played the other day. And in college, uh, you know, there's been some teams that have said, okay. One team can't play, and so the other team calls up the school and says, "Do you want to play?" It sounds like me growing up. You want to play? <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, and they show up, and you know, uh, University of Utah last week was told that their last game was against Colorado, and so they came back in a big win over Colorado. Kids get back to school, and someone says Tuesday, "Do you guys want to play Washington State on Saturday?" The season was over. The season was over, and they said, "Let's play on Saturday." And the youth started off slow and then scored like 42 answers or something. But I think that's an interesting thing to look at because for my whole life, you, when you finished a football game, there was this long odyssey of, okay, the defensive coordinators, you know, and then the offense. And now it's like, hey, you want to go play? Okay, let's go play. Dude, we don't have any video. That's the, we're just going to show up. We're going to play football. And – I know it sound. I, I know I give a lot of examples, but what I'm trying to get across, Joe, is I I hate the phrase "it depends," but when it comes to the human body and all this stuff, it depends. I know this: if after that workout, the three fifteen for thirty, two seventy five for thirty, two twenty five for thirty, on the way home on my motorcycle, if we would have had a massive earthquake, and I had to get home. Uh, I'd lock my motorcycle up somewhere and walked home. Even though I was exhausted, I'd be able to walk the six miles, right? But I was exhausted, but I walked the six miles. Uh, one of my friends, in fact, uh, you, I probably mentioned him to you, is I'm wearing a wristband in honor of him. You know, before he actually was killed, uh, the, the, this is the he got a very important distinction from the, the military, uh, one of our highest citations. He and his buddy got shot up real bad, and uh, with bullet bullet wounds and uh, uh, fragments from a grenade, he carried his buddy ten kilometers 
to, to save his life. Unbelievable. Um, so, folks, how long do you rest after that? I mean, what's the, what's the, so to me, this is why, and I, I know I'm not answering a question. I know that. But my frustration is you just did a set of eight reps with a 12 kilo bell and you're a male in the prep. Rest period, for God's sakes, man. None. Just get back and call me when you're strong, you know? <laughs> you know, when people are doing broomstick snatches, and I know how exhausting broomstick snatches are. I know that. But the rest period is putting the broomstick into the wall and walking back. It's You, you follow? So it's a real struggle. Uh, I was just reading a thing by this guy, and the guy has a golden rule, an unbreakable rule about rest periods. And I'm like, well, when I do the two, three, five, two, three, five, two, three, uh, bench press or squat workout, the rest period between set two and set three, it's, I mean, I rack the bar, uh, I go <coughs> shake out and then do the three. Cause it's so easy. Yeah. Um, you, you follow? Yeah. Uh, so it, I don't focus on rest periods. And then when I go to a gym, a public gym, Joe, I will watch guys they will be on their cell phone looking for their jam for 35 minutes and then ask in a forum about rest periods. Well, <laughs> instead of looking at your cell phone, you know, that's the time you're resting. Right. Um, you know, when I, so today I did my workout today was a weird one, but uh, so I did the armor building complex. That was your graduation. Uh, workout. Yeah. So two cleans, one press, three front squats, double bells. And then after every one of those, I had I kept ankle weights on. I picked up two six-pound weights, and I walked a quarter mile. And I did that five or six times. So only 15 to 18 squats, but with ankle weights and hand weights, a quarter mile walk. I, when I would walk up to the bells, I'd put, I'd put the hand weights down, do two cleans, a press, three front squats, put the bells to the ground, pick up the hand weights and go. Mm -hmm. What was my rest period? Well, I, there was, you know, the rest period was putting the weights down. <laughs> I like that. And it's a little bit like earn your rest. It's like, if you're asking how long you should rest, you're resting too long. <laughs> never reading that. Uh, it was letters to the editor uh, thing. This is a million years ago. And I don't even remember what magazine it is, but, and I, it could have been a plant because it was just, the question was this, you know, dear Joe, I want to be a pimp. What should I do? And the answer was, if you have to ask, you will never know. Uh, and I, I know that was rude, and I apologize <laughs> to Joe. But to me, rest periods are like – well, it's, it's like the, when I'm at a party because I teach theology, people come up to me all the time and say, well, I'm very religious. And I used to think I knew what they meant. Now I do the follow-up question. What do you mean? So when we're talking about rest periods and someone says um, rest periods, I say, I always ask them, what do you mean by that? You know, back in 1991, I had a, I was down at the Utah Summer Games. Uh, Friday, I threw, it was a terrible win, but it was probably the best throw of my life. Saturday, I snatched 314 pounds. I, I made the clean with 402 and missed a jerk. Sunday, I threw the shot for lifetime best. And I look back on those couple days where there, 
basically four lifetime bests. And then I crashed. It's funny to look at my journals from here. I crashed for weeks after that. Because, you know, the first step back after the peak is straight down, you know. Mm. <laughs> so you can either walk off the peak or fall. <laughs> and I, for example, I fell. So for me, rest periods is all about how are you stepping down from the peak. Right. Right. And and your example of the Cleveland Browns, for those that don't know, they just played on, I think it was three days rest or something. And they got absolutely smashed in that second game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, it, and it's, and again, it was it a, it's just what it, it's, it's going to be a fascinating thing for us to study years. From, like when things normalize a bit, I, I work with, you know, I consult with several division one coaches and the one coach, their, their season is over and we've been having this. He is completely changing the way he addresses conditioning, off-season, in-season, because of the lessons learned from this horrible experiment. Right. But I hope you also follow the point. Dude, learn something, which puts him miles ahead of everybody else. Right, right, exactly. And and what, what kind of stuff is he changing? Like what, where, where was he and where's he going? Do you have any, um, insights into that? Yeah, I can, I can, yeah, I'll, I'll be a tiny bit vague, yeah. obviously, but the big ones is what they thought. Okay. One of the things they discovered this year is that us, we plan for us more than we plan for them. So because we only had three days to find out who this game was with four days, we could only focus on what we could do. Yeah, we, we, and, and they stopped. So instead of having these 400 page printouts that you had, everyone had to memorize, you know, on third and 12, here are the 27 plays they run 47 times into the boundary, 22 times into the, you know, 40, you know, it's like, okay, third and 12. Yeah, looks like they pass most of the time. Let's make, yeah, it's, it's, it went from that to, yeah, let's just make sure we have the right personnel in the field, you know, um, you know, whatever. We we can we're going to worry about us, yeah. not so much about them. Uh, are they going to catch us in a trick play? Well, no, because uh, we're going to be in a vanilla defense because we do really well. Here's an interesting stat that I, I shared with him. So one of the things I said, and he was reading my book. I think it was now what it was now what, and he goes, I read this, and it, I read this. He said, I read this five years ago, and I just said, oh, that's interesting. But this year he read it with a different set of lenses. So his eyes didn't go bad. He just saw it different. Mm-hmm. And in the book, I talk about missed tackles in American football. So he had his poor grad assistant, but I guess it, he could just press a button. <laughs> if they miss five tackles or less in a game, they win. If they miss six and above, they lose. So instead of worrying about whether they're they're in the triple option out of the short punt formation or they're in the spread formation with or they're in the you know dime make tackles right. when you have a chance to tackle you make the tackle and if you make tackles and don't miss we win games it didn't matter where we lined up it was making the tackle or not and so we got as athletes to stop trying to do the the super hit or trying to 
grab the ball, make the tackle, and then run for a touchdown. Make the tackle. And all of a sudden, they just sat back and went, here's what's weird, is, you know, nothing worse than as a coach, third and 15, the guy hits the guy, five-yard gain, makes a great hit, and then the guy misses the tackle, and then they get a first down. That's not happening with this program. Because they focused on making, and then he realized he went right back to John Heisman, nineteen thirty-one, block, tackle, and control the ball. And then he started looking at you know uh, when Billy Bob didn't block the right guy, mm-hmm. blocking. And again, I hope you understand this. The fundamental fundamentals are what really brings about victory. Um, a gentle listener, uh, eat your protein, eat your vegetables, drink water. That's that's the. That's the best nutritional advice I can probably give you. Now, hand goes up. Dan, you talk about fermented vegetables. Okay, fine. Yeah, eat. Yeah, that's. Are you eating vegetables? No, I hate them. I never eat them. Well, let's get there first before you start asking the advanced questions. Okay. Right. As soon as I hang up now and eat some kimchi, just because you got me fired up. <laughs> Put it back. Well, I love the the make tackles thing, and uh, you know, to me, hearing the story about the football teams and stuff, it's like you know, to me, that's the person that's like more worried about timing their pre workout mix thirty minutes prior to their session, and making sure their Apple Watch is tracking all their stuff, and making sure that they've got the perfect kettlebell set for the workout, and you know, the workout plan says twenty four kilos, but I only have a sixteen, you know, that sort of stuff. It's just you know, make tackles is you know ultimately, you know, to the person listening, that's just trying to get motivated to do a garage workout. It's like, just get to work, like squat the bell, swing the bell, don't rest more than you need to. And, 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 uh, just punch the clock. Yes, exactly. You, um, and I, of course it's one of my standard things. Deprivation increases, uh, capacity. You know, don't forget when I was considered so, so there was a time in the 90s where coaches from co- Division I colleges from all the country were coming to Salt Lake to watch me coach the, the throws. And one of the things they picked up is I didn't have a discus ring. I didn't have a field. We were in a parking lot throwing against the auditorium wall. And these guys would lose their – it was like, wait. Because we didn't – and here's the thing. I couldn't just wiggle my nose and put a ring in it. We didn't have one because we didn't have a field. But we had a wall, and we could throw into a wall. And these coaches would go, "Wow, you do all these insightful things." No, no, we don't. It's not insightful. I didn't have anything, <laughs> nothing. So you know, w- when I'm working with, you know, I'll be at a, I'll be at sar- some far flung place. Uh, if you ever get a chance, it's the first time I became kind of famous about 2001 or two. I did a. Fr- it was posted on line for long. I was teaching the goblet squat, the hinge and the Olympic lifts. And the tools I had was a chair and a broomstick with the broom still on. <laughs> and I've had people tell me they've learned more about the Olympic lifts watching this video that uh, Larrabee posted when he, I mean, he still looks like he's 10 years old, but uh, all I had was a broomstick, a broom, and a chair. So I just taught everybody with that. And it was weird. It was really good because all I had was a broom and a chair. If I'd had platforms everywhere, as I was talking, you know, somebody from the workout that shall not be, would be named, would be doing 
30 reps of 135 pounds in the clean to show off and not pay attention to anything I had to say. But since all I had was a broom and a chair, they listened. I love it. I love it. And it's like the Tony Robbins thing where it's not about resources, it's about resourcefulness. And I love deprivation increases capacity. It's just such a beautiful thing. And I have a funny little story for you, Dan, because we just moved and uh, not surprisingly, perhaps there's a lot of people moving out of California right now. And um, we couldn't even get movers. And um, so we're not going to be able to get our things uh, to our new home for over a month. And so I, I rung up my buddy over Jay over at Kettlebell Kings and I said, Hey, like, do me a favor, send me one bell, whatever bell you've got. I know you're busy. You're having inventory issues because everyone's buying bells. I said, send me any bell you've got on the floor. Just make sure it's not too light. And then, uh, so that bell just showed up at my door. And so I now, Dan, I own a 44 kilo bell and that's the only bell I have. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm actually noodling on, all right, what the heck am I going to do with this thing? Let's see here. I can, I can, uh, I can deadlift it. I can swing it. I can, I can probably goblet squat it a couple times. I, you know, I might be able to get it into a, a get up position. It's been a while since I've attempted a hundred pound get up, but Hey, maybe I could get it. So it's just about like, it's kind of a really fun exercise to kind of go with this, you know, I guess deprivation, right? Absolutely. And it is what I, I mean, I, I basically it's, it's, it is the lesson of my life, you know, um, you know, it's the old thing. Of, in fact, I, it was a reader's digest and it was probably 10. My mom and dad used to subscribe to reader's digest and we used to get those abridged books too. <laughs> this is a while ago. And I loved Reader's Digest. It was an article about a World War II prisoner of war. And they were given like three hours to pack before the Japanese took them off to, uh, and well, my uncle was in it. It was brutal. They were terrible, but we'll move on. And one of the guys who had been, God bless this guy, a prisoner of war in World War I told everybody to bring a book. And they said, well, why would we bring a book? He goes, because you want. And since you only had one book, he learned the slow reading and it's a i wish i could find the article because it was lovely because if you only have one book and you only know you don't know how long you're going to be and it was obviously terrible but the, the the love the the love affair this guy had with that book where you read every word uh, for me i mean that's what i'm doing with the sword and the stone and my wandering weights uh, every single week i am um, going through that book paragraph by paragraph. Uh, it's my love affair with that book, explaining what the weird words mean. And because if you only had, if I only had one book, I would take the sword and the stone and I would read it. I've already I've reread it. But I don't know if I said a hundred times, it'd be an understatement. Because if you only have one book, you enjoy that book to death. Um, if you've ever been around a rich kid on Christmas, they're miserable. Mm -hmm. very often you know the kid who gets one gift and that's the gift they want is very happy it's a, it's a life lesson beautiful it really is dan and man well hey thank you so much this has been just such an enjoyable hour dan as always and i really yeah. sincerely appreciate your time and your energy and everything you put out is just awesome and and people know i talk about your programs your books all the time so people know i'm a big dan john fan so i appreciate you jumping back on the show with us and 
Uh, more often, right? Hey, hey, yeah. Let's episode three will be in the works soon. <laughs> but uh, always, you do a good job, and it's always nice to bump into at things too. Thank you, thank yeah. you so much, sir. And and let's just I'll put everything in the show notes. And a lot of people probably know your coach Dan John, but uh, let's t- can you tell us your new websites and and any social media handles I I might not have in front of me? Well, sure. Uh, there's danjohn.net, which is that great. Uh, it's my library where it's always going to be free. And it's just, if you decide to print everything out, folks, your printer isn't going to make it. Uh, there's way too much stuff. It's free and always will be. I mean, there's stuff that I, I just think it's just, um, uh, yeah, you'll be very, I'm very proud of it. And then there's the new site, danjohnuniversity.com. And I am very, uh, thank God for a guy named Brian Gwaltney. He has just made this thing bulletproof and uh i i just can't tell you how wonderful it is so uh, enjoy it right now i don't uh, sadly i don't have a uh i don't have a coupon but we will in a week or so but you know it's i think it's very uh it's very reasonable okay is it 29 bucks a month or something like that for the but the workout generator by itself is just completely worth it Absolutely, Dan. And and yeah, right now I'm on the page right now. I think it's 29 a month. And, and if you do come up with a code or anything like that, it's going to be a couple of weeks before this goes live. So folks, uh, check the show notes at coachjodi.com and, and we'll put whatever coupon code Dan might toss down for us. But like Dan said, it's, it's for the value you're getting here. 29 bucks is not, is not very much. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Well, all right, Dan. Well, thank you again, sir. And until next time, thank you and have a wonderful, wonderful day. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed today's show. For the show notes for today's episode, head on over to coachjoedi.com and click podcast from the menu. If you'd like to leave a review, which I would absolutely appreciate on iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you found this show, please do so. These mean the world to me. They help me understand what my audience is gaining from these shows that I'm pouring my heart into and ultimately helps us to reach more people because these platforms like shows that get reviews. So it helps us out so much. If you're digging the shows, this would be so great if you could just leave a review. Also, I still give away $150 every two weeks to kettlebellkings.com to somebody that reviews my show. So if you leave a review, just screenshot it and email it to hey at coachjodi.com and my team will enter you to win this $150 gift card so that you can outfit your home with a couple of kettlebells on me. Also, when you're in the show notes, you'll find links to any products that we discussed. For full transparency, some of these links do contain affiliate links. This helps me to fund these episodes, pay my staff, and ensure that I'm taking care of the people that take care of us. So I absolutely appreciate you clicking links and using codes. It helps keep this train on the tracks. All right, guys, until next week, thank you as always for listening. I really appreciate you guys subscribing and listening to this show every week. I really put a lot into them, so thank you so much. And you'll hear from me again next week. Take care.